Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a rating and review. You can also support the podcast through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Bairdo. That's B-A-I-R-D-O. Canada is full of legendary tales that center on the epic quest towards a goal. We have the hunt for the Mad Trapper, the March West, the building of the railroad, and, of course, the race against death. It all begins in December of 1928, when Bert Logan of the Hudson's Bay Company was posted at Little Red River, Alberta after spending time in Fort Simpson, Northwest Territories. While unpacking after his arrival following a holiday in Quebec, he suddenly became very ill. His wife, who was a nurse, quickly realized that he was dealing with diphtheria, which kills roughly 5-10% to of the people it infects. Upon the realization that he had this contagious disease, an urgent effort was started to get inoculations to the town before anyone else was infected. This was long before the days of email, and there were no telephones or roads to the community. The nearest telegraph station was many miles away over the frozen landscape. Bert's wife asked William Gray and his son Bob to go up the river to Fort Vermilion to get Dr. Harold Hammond. That was a distance of about 120 kilometers for the men to travel, and they immediately set off after testing the ice to make sure it could hold the weight of themselves, their dogs, and supplies. After reaching Fort Vermilion, the doctor traveled back with them and confirmed that, indeed, Bert had diphtheria. Since Bert had been dealing with the sickness for seven days by this point, and had a very difficult time breathing, the doctor knew that little could be done. He also knew the importance of getting inoculations to the community immediately to prevent others from getting sick. Dr. Hammond then told William and Bob to get back to Fort Vermilion and request that Gus Clark take a message to the Peace River Telegraph Office. This was a distance of about 350 kilometers. Upon receiving this message, Gus chose Joe Lafleur and William Lambert to make the journey as they were experienced river men. Those two men left Peace River by dog sled on December 18th. They brought with them supplies of bannock, potatoes, bacon, tea, sugar, coffee, and beef. They also had wild duck feather robes and bear hides to stay warm as they would be sleeping on the ground at night in the dead of winter. They also had long fur parkas for additional warmth. Unfortunately, Joe Lafleur fell through the ice upriver, and the two men had to come back to Fort Mavillion and would not leave for another three days. Once they set off, they traveled through minus 50 degrees Celsius weather, arriving in Peace River on New Year's Day. After delivering the part of the message, both men were put in the hospital to recover from the flu. The telegraph message was as follows. Logan, Hudson's Bay man at Red River, 50 miles below Fort Vermilion, bad case diphtheria, Voice gone, throat paralyzed, serum old. Have started immunizing people around, but quantity limited. Several known contacts five to seven days ago with great possibility of spread. One other suspicious sore throat tonight. If possible, rush aeroplane. Good landing, no snow. If snow will clear landing strip on river, both Fort Vermilion and Red River. Radio message to me when they expect plane. Send incubation apparatus, several hundred antitoxin, toxoid, for 200 plus. Cannot leave Logan's bedside, real emergency, do all possible. Sadly, on December 22nd, Bert Logan had passed away. 
Now, William and Bob had left Fort Vermilion on December 24th to return to Little Red River, but had to turn back after a Chinook melted much of the river ice. They set out again on the 26th, and on the trail they met Francis Barossa, who was traveling south with Dr. Hammond, Mrs. Logan, and the body of her husband. Dr. Hammond, Mrs. Logan, and her husband's body were then moved over to the sleigh of William and Bob, and the group turned around and made their way back to Fort Vermilion. Unfortunately, just outside Fort Vermilion, the party was met by a member of the RCMP, who told them that they could not enter the community with the body. Bob Gray would later state that it was the only time he ever saw Dr. Hammond angry. The group was forced to leave the body at the Anglican Cemetery. Now with the telegraph message now delivered to Edmonton, Wap May, the legendary First World War I flying ace was asked if he could deliver the medicine, which consisted of 200,000 units. May had just happened to be in Edmonton visiting family. In speaking with the Edmonton Bulletin, George Hoadley, the Provincial Minister of Public Health stated, With the cooperation of the Hudson's Bay Company and Alberta Provincial Police, everything has been done by radio to assist the airmen should they meet with difficulty in their flight. The department fully supports the concern of the people for these gallant and intrepid airmen who are engaged in this mission and has endeavored to deal with the situation as promptly and as effectively as permitted by all circumstances entering into the situation. Leaving in an Avro Avian with Vic Horner the next day at noon, amid minus 28 Celsius weather, the men followed the Edmonton, Dunvegan, and British Columbia railway tracks north. They then moved along the south shore of the Lesser Slave Lake. As they were flying, they were forced to land when the baggage compartment, which had a charcoal heater in it, caught fire. The serum was stored in there and they were forced to throw the heater out and place the serum in their pockets, armpits, and groin to keep it warm. After flying for three hours that day, the men landed at McClellan as it was becoming too dark to continue flying. The Edmonton Bulletin reported the following. The overnight stop was made at McClellan, not only to refuel but also for the comfort of both May and Horner, who were suffering from the cold and could not have continued on to Peace River last night without first landing and getting warmed up. It was then too late to attempt a landing at Peace, as Wap had had a previous experience here and knew the difficulties of poor visibility. In regards to landing at Peace River, May would later state, if you people here only fully realize the strain it puts on a flying man to have to try and dodge the steel wires of the government telegraphs crossing the river, and with the railway bridge a mile below, all hemmed in by immense hills, you would get behind a movement to have those steel wires transferred to the bridge. After getting more fuel in Peace River the next day, the two men continued their flight and landed in Fort Vermilion at 3pm just as the group from Little Red River were arriving. The drugs were quickly handed over to Dr. Hammond, and people in Fort Vermilion were inoculated. This was done thanks to a dance that was held that night. When someone entered the dance hall, the RCMP required them to have an injection of the serum. Both Little Red River and Fort Vermilion would receive the inoculations, and the only death would be that of Bert Logan. As for Watt May and Horner, they flew back but had to stay in Peace River due to engine damage from using low-quality fuel. Upon arriving in Peace River, Wap would say, You can tell the world it was a cold trip, boy oh boy. But here we are and damn glad to get this far. We spent a wonderful evening with Constable McCarthy. He treated us right royally, and as a matter of fact, everybody was nice. In writing about the trip Wap and Horner made, the bulletin would state, 
They risked their lives to save others and they would do it again just as freely. They would answer another call without a whimper. It is men of grit and determination such as these that would make the world worth living in. All power to them. Now the men would not make it back to Edmonton until January 7th. By that point, news of their flight, now called the Race Against Death, had spread across Canada, and both men were welcomed as heroes in Edmonton, with thousands of Edmonton residents waiting for them at the airport. As V, Wap May's wife would later state, Wap had to taxi the plane to the end of the field because the crowd was rushing the plane, and he was worried somebody would be hurt by the propeller. In all, the flight consisted of 2,000 kilometers over the course of 14 hours. In speaking on Don Heron's morning side on September 1st, 1980, Denny May spoke about the Mercy flight his father took in 1929. I was called to do a Mercy flight into the north and flew to Fort Vermilion. This flight was well broadcast a year ago and we recreated that same flight back to Fort Vermilion in our biplane from here. Is this the originator of Get the Serum Through? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, what kind of temperatures would he be flying in? Well, in that particular flight, it was temperatures down to minus 30 below Fahrenheit. And uh, open open cockpit. Open cockpit? Yeah, wheels, midwinter. What would he wear? Five suits of underwear? No, it's, um, I think he, there were a lot of wolves, and he wore a, uh, I think it was a bearskin coat or something like that, but it was certainly a wool coat. And the other fellow with him, Vic Horner, was wearing a, a sheepskin lined and a, a leather coat. Now, what about the goggles? Wouldn't they freeze up? Or no, they didn't seem frost over. He had frost problems because he was wearing a silk scarf, and that froze to his lips, apparently, on the way back. That was probably How the worst romantic. thing. How <laughs> romantic. Yeah. In 2017, the Fort Vermilion Airport would be renamed the Wap May Memorial Airport, and Wap's son, Denny, would speak at the event. It was a little airplane. It an awful lot like this, but that's a wonderful replica up there of the Avro Avian. Uh, if you think about that, this was 1929. It was on wheels. It was an open cockpit. Uh, there was no radios. Currently, this airport will be renamed to the Wapmay Memorial Airport, a direct recognition of Wilfred Reed Wapmay's courageous efforts during his 1929 Mercy flight from Edmonton to Fort Vermilion. May's 1929 flight enabled the community of Fort Vermilion to receive and distribute medicine required to fight the outbreak of an infectious disease. Now it had been a hard flight back for the men through the minus 33 degrees Celsius weather, and as Denny said, May had covered his face with a silk scarf to prevent it from freezing. When he landed, he took off the scarf and the skin of his lips came with it. Now before I end this episode, I want to talk briefly about the unsung hero of the race against death. Everybody involved went above and beyond, and while many traveled through terrible weather to save lives, it all started with the wife of Albert Logan, identified as far as I can tell as simply Mrs. Albert Logan. Now she had been a member of the Calgary Holy Cross, and thanks to her nursing knowledge, she knew what her husband was suffering from. She knew that since he was a traitor, he had exposed as many as 500 people in both Red River and Fort Vermilion. And it was she who sent the first party out to alert Dr. Hammond in Fort Vermilion. And she was instrumental in sending Louis Barossa to Peace River to get an urgent delivery of serum. Without her, and I truly wish I could find her name, many would have died. And this would not have been a heroic tale, but a tragic one. Information for this piece comes from wapme.com. 
Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Around the Lower Peace, Heritage of Service, the History of Nursing in Alberta, the Edmonton Bulletin, and CBC. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me through email at crwbaird at gmail.com, and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website at CanadaX, that's ehx.blogspot.ca.